Hi, everyone, and welcome to Resilient People. I'm your host, Janet Fanaki. I've always been interested in what makes people resilient. What makes them have such a positive mindset? What are the common traits between those people who are admired for their resilience? And what advice would they give to others? Over the last couple of seasons of the podcast, I've met so many people who've inspired me. Now, as a 53-year-old woman, I'm turning my attention to the stories of resilient women in their midlife years. Women in their 40s to mid-60s are taking on new adventures and moving full steam ahead into their next chapters. Because the joy doesn't end in midlife, for many of these women, it's just the beginning. And as a resilience explorer, I want to meet the women who are the examples of the good and exciting times that lay ahead for all of us. On today's episode, I have Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer in Toronto, back on the show. Our children are around the same ages and she's a single parent, just like me. Leanne has been on the podcast before and this time we talked about some big changes that have recently happened in her life, namely selling her family home and starting her own law firm. We talked about embracing life changes, where her support system comes from, how to find a good lawyer, and bonded over our mutual appreciation for the TLC show, 90 Day Fiancé. Here is my conversation with Leanne Townsend. Hi, Leanne. How's it going? Good, thank you. How are you? Good. So nice to see you. We've known each other for a few years now. I always marvel at how you embrace change and you've had a lot of change recently. You're in the newly minted Leanne Townsend law firm, which is super exciting, a new house, lots of new beginnings. How's it been? It's been good. It's been a lot. Um, You know, I'm not going to lie and say that it hasn't been overwhelming at times because it is a lot of change at at once. Um, You know, both moving my house and and leaving the law firm I was with and setting up my own law firm and, you know, all of that. But, you know, it was change that needed to happen. And so I, you know, it's, it's good. It's stressful. But when you know it's the ultimate result is going to better your life, it, it, it makes it easier to navigate through the change. What was the first change that happened? Um, well, the first change, I guess, was the decision to sell my house. And I'd been thinking about doing it, you know, for a number of years. For me, it was a financial burden that I, you know, I just was finding my mortgage payments and whatnot were taking a big chunk out of my, you know, my take home pay, quite honestly, from my job. And, but I wanted to stay there. I wanted to get my kids through high school in the same home. And as I think, you know, I lived about a five minute walk from my ex-husband's home. So it was great for the kids, you know, to be able to walk. So, you know, between the homes so easily. So my goal had always been to stay there till my youngest was through high school. And then she graduated, I guess, last year and she went to, you know, last year was her first year in university. And so I felt it was time. And then I lucked out because I sold right at the height of the market. Good timing. Yeah, no, that I've like completely (laughs) breathed a sigh of relief on that. You know, it, it, it was hard because it had been, it wasn't the only family home we had. Like we had lived there for eight years. We'd lived, um, you know, in another home before that, but the ages of my children, you know, they kind of had more memories in some ways in this home and downsizing. So 
you know, while I can understand why I'm downsizing, you know, a 19 year old and a 21 year old who maybe are going to smaller bedrooms and things like that, you know, don't always have as much understanding of it. What kind of conversations did you have with the kids about moving out of the house? Um, Well, I was honest with them to some degree. I'm a fairly open parent. I mean, I don't involve them unnecessarily in adult things, but they knew that financially it was tough for me to just keep staying in that house. I mean, I find it's very hard being a a one income person and living in the city of Toronto. um, And even if your income isn't bad, you know, raising a family. And so they knew that I had, you know, it was, I was tight financially staying there. So they, they understood that. And their father was always giving them that message as well. So, you know, from that standpoint, they knew that it was time to move, but then the issue was like, where do we move? And, you know, I, part of me was considering moving into a condo, but my daughter in particular was really against that. And, you know, what part of the city, because I I didn't really have like a specific area in mind. I was open to, you know, numerous areas. It was just finding the right house. And it was tough. Like I find they don't really remember the, even though they were, you know, I guess it was eight years ago, the last time I moved and, you know, given they're 19 and 21, they're certainly old enough, but they just didn't seem to, it didn't seem to impact them the same way because they stayed in the same school. Maybe, I don't know. Um, This time, I think too, because they had to get rid of stuff. Their bedrooms were going to be smaller. And while I was getting rid of stuff, like they had to too. and, And that was hard for them. When you're making these decisions on your own, it just seems to be that much more daunting. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, I, it's funny, I can go into like a courtroom and do a trial and and I'll be like a little bit nervous, but I can handle that. Or I can public speak in front of a large group of people. And again, like I might be a little nervous, but I can handle it. But I get completely overwhelmed almost to the point of shutting down with stuff like moving, like getting, you know, clean, cleaning out my basement and getting rid of stuff. And I find for me that just completely overwhelms me. And I had just by default kind of become the keeper of family photos and heirlooms because, you know, both my parents are deceased and my grandmother had, you know, had, had, had died after my mother died. And so I have all the photos, you know, from my parents when they were younger, from my brother and I growing up, you know, from my own children. And I have, you know, I had a piano that had been my grandmother's, that was my mother's. I had multiple China sets, you know, that had been my grandmother's. And I had held on to all of these things, you know, through the years. And I'd reached the point now where it was time to let them go. Like, I mean, first of all, I don't have space in the new house, but it was also, I I relieved myself of, I don't want to say the burden, but it was almost like it it was a burden in the sense that I felt like I had to keep holding on. I was never using the China. No one was playing the piano, you know, but I felt like I had to keep them out of some sense of obligation to, you know, my mother and my grandmother or my father. And So, you know, it's funny, I was having a conversation with my daughter one day when I was sorting through all this China, it was beautiful China, but you know, nonetheless, I've never used it. And my daughter says to me, she says, mom, if you think for a minute that once you go that I'm going to like hold on to this China, um, you are completely mistaken. And it just kind of made me realize that like, what is the point of carting all this stuff with it? You know, it's just going to sit in my basement you know, being stored and and things like that. So I finally kind of relieved myself of that responsibility to hang on to all of these things and, you know, sold them where I could sell them and gave them away and junk some things as well. 
And it was actually like a real sense of relief. I, I was surprised that it was really like a lightening of my load to just unburden myself from all these things that like, you know, my mother died in, in like 1986. My grandmother died, I think in like 1994. And then my father in 2001. So I've been carrying this stuff for years. Sometimes we need that permission to move on, right? And, you know, because you inherited it from all those different people, you know, having your daughter tell you that it's okay, mom, like it's okay to let it go, that maybe that's all you needed. Because you do hit that point in midlife where you start thinking, who is this for? Where did it happen that you decided that you were going to open your own law firm? Well, that was something that I've been thinking about for a while. It was just an issue of timing. And I had in my mind, I was wanting to do the house move first and get settled and then do the firm move, but then just pulled the plug and ended up deciding to do both at the same time, which as I say, was not my ideal. But on the other hand, it was just a lot at once. And then, you know, I could be settled at once versus dragging, you know, dragging the move from the home out and then finally getting settled and then moving the clients and and the firm and everything. So So how does it feel now that all those things are kind of behind you and you can kind of move forward with the firm, with your new house? What's that feeling like? It feels great. I I honestly, I feel so much lighter. Um, I just, I, before all this happened, I felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I felt so stuck and it really just made me feel so much lighter and like happier, more at ease, you know, more excited about my future than I had been in a while you know, it was definitely worth going through all the change and all the overwhelm and the stress and sleepless nights of it. And then, you know, you're in the business of family law. So you're in the business of, you know, people who are separating, people who are divorcing. How have the latest changes in your own personal life parlayed their way into your practice? Like the advice that you're giving your clients? Uh, Well, I think one of the things that comes up for me with clients is, you know, often I'll have a client who, Uh, wants to stay in the matrimonial home so they're splitting up and you know the assets are being divided and they really want to stay in the matrimonial home but the reality is they can't afford to stay in the matrimonial home and so you know just from my own personal experience one of the things I'll say to them is you know what we would all like to stay you know in the home where our children grew up and everything but sometimes there's a financial reality that we can't and you know children are resilient and you know, sometimes you create such a stressful life for yourself by clinging to staying in the matrimonial home when you can't afford it, that it's not worth doing. And you need to let that go and understand that, you know, your children will be fine, you will be fine. And so like, that's one of the ways because I, you know, I see people creating these post-divorce lives for themselves where they're so pressed financially because they're staying in a home that they just can't afford but they wanted to stay there. So that, you know, that would be one example. Um, Cause I always draw on my own personal experience when I'm speaking to clients and, and trying to help them. So, you know, and, and sometimes I, I mean, I'll be honest, you get people who they're in their home, which they can't really afford and they they're crying the blues about it. But again, that's where I guess like the tougher side of me will come out and say, well, you know what, come on, people move all the time. I just had to move because I couldn't afford it. And I'm just fine. And my kids are just fine. So, you know, you can do it too. Um, When you were getting separated or divorced from your husband, was your lawyer like you are with your clients? Um, no, uh, my lawyer was very different. And, uh, you know, I, at that time I was a crown attorney, so I wasn't practicing family law. 
And I, even if I was practicing family law, I still would have had my own lawyer because I just think it's better to have your own lawyer for your situation. But I think I have more of a coachy side to me just, you know, from the experiences I've been through. And she definitely, you know, didn't have that side and certainly didn't share any personal stories with me. And, you know, I was only asking not to get personal with whoever you would use, but because I know you and I know how much you care about the whole process of what a person goes through. Talk a little bit about, you know, that community that you've built around you and what you offer to your clients. Was there anything even close to that when you left your marriage and what do you wish was in place back then that you can see now? Yeah, there definitely wasn't anything close to, to what I'm providing back then. And I separated in 2005. So, I mean, we're looking at 17 years ago now. Gosh, I can't believe it's that long, but it, it really is. You know, at that time, lawyers, it was more focused, It's you know, to some degree that you're still going to focus on the financial part, but there weren't all these sort of sub industry in the divorce realm of, of coaches and you know, now there's even real estate agents who specialize in divorce and mortgage brokers who specialize in divorce. And, oh, wow. you know, it's really um, become like a niche area. So there certainly wasn't anything of that. And there was no such thing as a, as a divorce coach. And so you had your lawyer and then whatever friends you were able to, you know, rely on for support were there. And so, I mean, and that's something that I draw on with, with my own experience with my clients is I know that divorce is a process that affects like so many areas of somebody's life. I mean, it, not only it affects their financial, but their emotional and their mental health and their physical health in many cases, um, and as well, their spiritual health. And so I try in my practice to approach every client from a holistic standpoint. And I have great network of, you know, people I can refer clients to who might need a therapist or a coach or a financial advisor or an accountant or a mortgage broker or a real estate agent or, you know, whatever, any number of, of professionals. And so I can, you know, plug them in or connect them with people in that network. And it's important to me to get a sense with, you know, new clients, you know, what are their needs? Do they need to be connected to some of these people? Because they may not even know sometimes fully what's out there. And to find out what they need and connect them with the right people and to do it in a cost effective way as well because you know that's the other thing I feel like when I was going through my divorce I don't know like you just the lawyers charged their fees you paid the fees there wasn't didn't seem to really be a questioning of it the way sometimes there were there is now. And I try to be, you know, very financially responsible towards my clients. Like, yes, it's how I make my living. So I do have to, you know, charge. And I think it's only fair. I charge the going rate for my fees. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not going to overcharge or overbill. And I'm reasonable about things because I recognize that family law clients are paying me and usually after tax dollars. And it's not like a corporation. And often they're already losing you know, money by going through the divorce process. So they're having less, a smaller piece of the pie they originally had. And then now they've got to pay their lawyer. So I think it's important to be mindful of that as well. But I think just all of the, um, like you say, the subcategories um, yeah. in your practice, right? And that's such a great way to put it. All those offerings would really help, I think, a client who's going through a very devastating time of their lives. 
Well, I think the other thing too, is that anytime that you find yourself suddenly alone, that's the start of feeling very vulnerable, you know, whether it's through divorce or through death or however that kind of happens in your life, you, there is that sense that you, can I trust this person who says that they're trying to help? Whereas like when you were in a partnership or a marriage or whatever it was, the relationship, you had that other person to bounce things off of, right? Yes. So yeah, yeah it, it can be very intimidating, very uh, frightening. So you, I think you nailed it and you have to have somebody that you trust and that you have total yeah. confidence in. Yeah. And, and that's the key thing. And I mean, that person doesn't, it, it, maybe they're not the lawyer, but I just think at the end of the day, divorce is a legal process. So if your you know, key person is your financial advisor or your coach and they don't work well with your lawyer, you've got a problem. Okay. So if it's not you that somebody is going to how, if you find yourself suddenly single, how do you go about finding a really good lawyer? I think it's important first off that you interview more than one lawyer. I mean, a lot of people, when they're in that situation, they're nervous and they're scared. And so they ask around, you know, in their network, do you know of a family law lawyer? And they end up going with the first name that they've been given. They just settle for that specific lawyer and away they go. And then sometimes they regret it down the road. So I think it's important to speak to, I mean, I would say ideally three, um, you know, at least two, if not, I mean, some lawyers offer free consultations, but I, I offer a reduced rate, like I'll offer a 30 minute consultation at a reduced rate and things like that. So usually there's, you know, lawyers have different ways of handling an initial consultation, but I think it's important that you speak with more than one to get an idea of not only like what their advice is for your specific situation, but also like their personality. Is this somebody that I, I feel like can communicate with, or is this somebody I'm going to be completely intimidated by? You know, is this somebody who, you know, just seems empathetic and knowledgeable? But having said that, your lawyer doesn't need to be your friend. That's something sometimes people mistake. If you have a case where you've got, you know, a really high conflict, you know, battle already going on, then, you know, you're going to want to make sure you have a certain type of lawyer for that. If you're wanting to try and have something more amicable and settle things and negotiate or do mediation, you, you another lawyer might be the right person for that. And so you need to find the one that fits your specific situation. So it's important to kind of ask, you know, what their approach would be to your case. Like, do they think you should be going to court? Do they not think you should be going to court? How would they handle it? Or how would they handle a specific type of situation? Because I think, again, most lawyers like to have their strengths and their weaknesses, like everybody and everything. And so it's important to find one that's the right fit for not only you as a person, but your, your specific situation. That's really good advice. No, I just lost my train of thought. Is that being 53 or what? <laughs> God, <laughs> I have this question all the time. <laughs> I had this question in my mind crystallized as you were speaking. And then I'm like, wait, what was I going to ask? <laughs> <laughs> You're one who is always embracing change in your life. I mean, as long as I've known you, which has been a few years, you've gone through big changes. It's not just, you know, little, I'm going to change my hair color kind of thing. <laughs> that's um, the one thing I don't change. So that would be that's good that's because it looks fabulous. That's yeah. why. So just stick with the blonde. I love it. <laughs> but what are you channeling that gives you that strength to make a big change in your life that you should just be more of the mindset of embracing it versus being fearful and being stuck? 
Yeah, well, I think I'm fortunate in my upbringing that I was always raised to believe that I could do anything that I set my mind to. So I was never raised like from a fearful sort of standpoint. I was always raised that if you want something, you go after it. And, you know, my maiden name was Vanstone. I was always told, you know, you're a Vanstone. Vanstones can do anything, you know, this type of thing. So I think I was fortunate in the sort of mindset that was created for me in, in my upbringing. But, but I also think I was very affected by losing my mother at 19. And I, at that time, I, my brother and I lived on our own. My dad gave me the child. He paid the child support to me that he'd been paying to my mother. He, he was in our lives and he was doing the best he knew how to do. But I, at that time, felt very emotionally abandoned by like everybody. You know, we, there was no talk of, you know, you should see a counselor or a therapist. And so I think like from that age at that 19, I kind of learned that the only person I can truly, really rely on in this world is myself. It sounds like a negative message, but in a way it's a positive message because I always knew that if I wanted something or if I wanted to make something happen, it was going to be on me to make it happen. And that lesson just got re, you know, relearned throughout my life. Um, I've just always, you know, I ended up being divorced, you know, different things. And so I've just always found that at the end of the day, I, I can't, as much as there might be great people in my life, I can't rely on them to change something in my life. It's only going to be on me. You know, my parents are deceased and I'm divorced. And so I have no hidden pot of gold. Like if I fall and lose all my money, there's nothing there. There's no safety net there. And so I have to go out and I have to hustle and, and do things. And so I think I've just, for that whole reason, I've never been afraid of, of making changes. I'd rather try and fail than, than not try at all. So it's just been a philosophy that I've always had from a young age. And so change doesn't, it doesn't intimidate me the way I think maybe it does some people. I, I just, I have always been somebody who embraces it and views it as, you know, necessary at times. Life's too short to be stuck in bad situations indefinitely. And I have been stuck in bad situations longer than I would have liked. So it's not like I haven't had those times. I have. But it's like, I always find at the end, at some point in the midst of, you know, the, the bad times, I always find a way to get out of it and make whatever changes I need to make to do that. What do you like to do in your off hours? I'm trying to really cultivate now because I, part of my problem in the last couple of years is I found I just worked all the time. Like I really didn't do, I worked and I worked. And then when I had downtime, I was so burned out from the work and the stress. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to lie on my bed, watch a, a reality TV show. That's my you know brain candy. What's your favorite? Uh, I like uh, the 90 day fiance series. Oh, that one seems to be. Yeah. Pillow talk <laughs> is my favorite. Yeah. I like pillow talk as well. So that would be <laughs> like, that would be literally like in the, over the last couple of years, like that was my main thing because I just I had no energy really I might go out to dinner once a week with my good friend and, and that would would be it but I found that now that I've made these changes and I'm feeling better and re-energized a bit I'm going out more and doing things but you know one thing that's always important to me too is just exercise I that's even when I gained have gained weight and things like that it's always been a constant for me to have some form of daily or almost daily exercise is it helps my mental health probably more than my physical health in a lot of ways 
So that's something I always have as a constant. And now I'm just trying to like, I'm going away to Mexico with my kids for a week and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going on a cruise to South America and Antarctica. And I'm trying to just, I used to travel a lot and I've traveled a lot of the world. I've been fortunate that way, but I sort of went through this period in the last while where I wasn't traveling and going on trips. And so I'm just starting to get that side of me back and enjoy it in because I do really enjoy it. So it's nice to have some things to look forward to. Do you still have your dogs? I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I, I, they sometimes are like the bane of my existence. I will be honest. Like, <laughs> you know, when I first moved, like they were not settling in the new house at all. And no? the little one was peeing and pooping everywhere. And the big oh, one no. was getting into things like he would get into, I had a bag of groceries on the floor that were all like sealed items. And he somehow got a tin of cocoa open and he got cocoa oh, everywhere. No. Um, and like, and so, you know, when you're stressed and you're tired and you come home and that you, you have like cocoa all over your house. Yeah. You want to ship them off. Yeah. And so I've had many, <laughs> many of those moments, I'll be honest, but then now that I am, you know, an empty nester and I, like I was last year, but it didn't, my son was going to be back in January for an internship. And then with COVID, my daughter was back for a long part of the year anyway. So this year I'm kind of feeling a little more the the empty nester thing. And so as, as crazy as the dogs drive me at times, I'm kind of like, you know, it would be really lonely coming home and there's like nobody here, you know, with mm -hmm. the dogs, there's still somebody greeting you who's happy to see you. And it, I, I'm glad that I have them now. Last question. You had mentioned in one of your posts that a friend of yours had labeled this, the year of Leanne. <laughs> and I love that. What does that mean to you? It means that it's the year that I'm making some big changes um, towards having a better life and also more importantly, leading a life that's more aligned with my soul and my values. I've had a, a tendency over my life to do, you know, to do things to please other people a lot and, and put other people ahead of myself and sacrifice what's best for me. And so this year, I'm really prioritizing myself, doing things that are aligned with who I am and what I want and you know making the changes to do that so that's what the year of leanne is all about and um i've been working on my my health because i was having health, some health issues in the last year and a half like just from stress and different things so i'm prioritizing that and then you know i'm prioritizing my finances i would like to be able to retire someday so i want to you know get myself in a position to be able to do that you don't want to be um, like the queen who worked to the very last day. No, I don't think I do. I, I, uh, I, although who knows, you know, I'll probably be doing something. It's, you know, you say that what I'm hoping with my the law firm I'm growing is that, you know, I'll just grow it and then I'll work at it in some capacity, but I might not have to be as hands-on, you know, grinding away in court every day, the way that I am right now. Um, but, uh, you know, the nice thing is if you build something up, you know, that can run on some level without your constant involvement, that's always nice. I like that. And I think everybody should name, if it's not this year, some year, you know, the year yeah. of whatever their name is, you know, just exactly. own it. Yeah. And make the change and do what you need to do. And, you know, I always say like, you know, yes, change is hard. And, you know, and sometimes 
when you're going through the change, it can be seem like life is worse or more challenging or more difficult. And I say that to all my divorce clients, like, you know what, this is going to get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. And when you come out the other end and things are getting better and better and better, like, you know, it's so worth it. So you just have to focus on that trust in the process that things will get better and keep you know, keep on the course. I think, you know, I really believe things work out for the best for all of us uh, on some level. We might not understand it at the time, but, you know, generally do. Obviously there's exceptions to that that could be like related to people's health and things like that, but they do. And I think you just have to trust your instincts and trust that the universe, here's a spiritual thing, the universe has your back. I think, you know, too, what you touched on earlier, having the right people around you. I totally it's a hundred, it's so important because, you know, there's that saying, like, we're like the five people we spend the most time with. And if you're around a bunch of negative people and complainers and who always see the worst and everything, like you can't help but get sucked into that and look at things that way. And if, whereas if you surround yourself with positive and supportive people, you know, you feel different and people who believe in you, because that's another thing. Like when I go and do some of the change, you know, these changes I do, like there's people who will make comments and, you know, things like that. But I just don't, you know, I don't let it get to me. And I don't surround myself with people like that. I surround myself with people who are supporting things that I want to do and changes I make. And I don't know about you, but I find the older I get, like, I have no tolerance for drama. I just, I don't want people in my life who, where things involve a lot of drama. It's just so unnecessary. For me, the reality too, is that unfortunately at this stage of our lives, the drama is big. You know, like the drama that used to be drama in our 20s, depending on what that was, you could have been going through separation or divorce or whatever it was at that stage of your life, but not many of our friends were. But at this stage of our lives, the problems are big. You know, it's like I I would always say, you know, starting in the 40s, it's death and divorce. And it's not fun. People aren't having babies anymore. Very few are getting married, you know, at that stage. So the happy times are not as frequent. So, but yeah, I agree. I agree about the drama, you know, but if, because everybody needs their support network, if you don't have those positive people around you, quite honestly, you're screwed. For sure. I mean, and like, that's where, you know, I think where some of my resilience has come from is that I didn't, I've had to go through times in my life where I didn't have those people around me and I had to rely on myself and get through it. So now it's like a bonus that I do have great people around me um, because it does, you know, it is needed and it does help. And, you know, I just, I wanted to just touch on, you know, one other thing I find, you know, that as I get older, it's just more and more apparent to me is our health you know, like you, we can't take, like, as I say, I was having some health stuff going on in the last year and a half. And, you know, my kids look at me and they're, you know, like, they're like, mom, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you like putting your clients ahead of your health? Like, this is crazy. Like, you know, and you, you realize how, you know, none of us, you know, and I know this is something you're very, you know, very aware of, you know, none of us know when our number's up, we don't know what the future holds. And so there is that importance of, Yes, you you want to plan for tomorrow, but you've also got to live for today and, and enjoy the present and make memories um, and spend time with these supportive people and the people that you love and be present during those times and not distract it with, you know, whatever stresses are going on in your life. One of the words that I like the least as I get older is should, because I feel like that word when some somebody you see that you haven't seen in a long time will say, we should really get together. We should really do that. Let's just make the plan. Just yeah. 
set yeah, like, the date. Say, let's get together. When are you free? Like and that, it, you know, you, it never happens, you know, yeah. and then people then have these tragedy in their lives and then they stop and reflect and they think, Oh, I, I'm going to start, you know, living my life, you know? It, well, yeah. Like you could have started that years ago. I think like the one lesson that I try to parlay to people is make the plans, do the things that you want to do, spend the time with the people that you want to spend time with. Cause you're right. Yeah. You don't know when your number is up and it's not to like really bring, you know, this conversation so down, but yeah. that's life. Yeah, no. And there's so much good out there and good in life. And so enjoy it, embrace it. And life is meant to be enjoyed and lived and you know happiness is the greatest success you know sign of success that anyone can have and live for you know do things that make you happy and stop with the shoulds i want to tell you that we need to have dinner again yeah we definitely do we're going to do it i'm not going to say we should because we will (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, we will we're going to pick a date (laughs) we're going to do it this was a great conversation with leanne and i hope you enjoyed it too She's reminding midlife women to not be afraid of change, even if it happens all at once. That you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, so choose your people wisely. Work and home are important, but so are health and emotional well-being. Such great advice. I want to thank Leanne Townsend for joining me, and I'd like to thank you, of course, for listening to this episode of Resilient People. If you're a woman who is between the ages of 40 and mid-60s and have a positive story to share, please get in touch with me. Go to resilientpeople.ca and send me a note on the contact page. Resilient People is created and produced by me, Janet Fanaki. Music is Sundays by R. Lamar. Please rate and review Resilient People on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. And please share your favorite episodes with your friends and community. I've been sharing quotes this season, and I have a new one to share with you from Rebecca Perkins of the Huffington Post. Let's believe that midlife is a time of renaissance, a time of rebirth. How will you live the second half of your life? Till next time on Resilient People, I'm Janet Fanaki. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.